Well, welcome everybody. Thanks for being here. Middle service, living streams. Um, if you want to grab a Bible and turn to Luke 4, we're going to be there. But a few announcements going on. We're in our fasting season at Living Streams. We kick off January with the fasting season. Hopefully um, you've been clued in on what that means and you've been participating a bit. If this is your first Sunday, you, you missed a whole part of it, which is awesome. So you just have a little fasting to do, not a lot of fasting. Um, but we've been getting together on Wednesdays, fasting during the day, and then coming together for prayer times. Those have been awesome, awesome times together. My favorite part is, is just looking out and seeing a round table full of people from different generations, different walks of life, all just being together and making fun of how hungry they are, stuff like that. Um, but also, we, like these baby dedications, we have one at each service. Um, Kurt, Ryan, and I, we're all doing premarital counseling right now. It's just, it's like a whole new generation is coming up and stepping into the church, and it's just beautiful to see. It's definitely, probably, yeah, we can applaud that. But um, it's one of my favorite things about Living Streams is just how... We've, we, we're doing multi-generational church. It's just happening. And um, we know that that's the most uncomfortable way to do church. It'd be way, way easier if we just picked a generation and went after that because then everybody there is happy and you do the songs the right way, you do the sound the right way, you do all the sound. But we thought, no, let's just do multi-generational so everyone will be a little uncomfortable. And uh, so we're, we're doing it, but thanks for hanging in there. I think there is a benefit. I think there really is a, a benefit that's, that's worth a little bit of discomfort we might be going through. Uh, so that's for, And our youth camp, you know, is filled up. So we have youth camp coming up next weekend. And um, so that's really cool to see what the Lord's doing there. But um, also, this is a big one. So all for one. This has been brewing for some time. Um, we're, we're, we're finishing our fasting and prayer season, but... On, on 221, so Wednesday night, February 21st, 7 p.m., right here, we really are asking for everyone to jump back in to a little prayer time, a little prayer and worship. Um, we're going to be joining with, with three other Central Corridor churches, so North Phoenix Baptist Church with Noe Garcia as the pastor there, um, New City Church with Brian Kruckenberg, and, uh, and Phoenix Bible Church with Tim Birdwell. I've become friends with these guys over, over the years. And as the, the old Democrat machine is firing up all of their strength and they're going to give us a vision for what society should be and the Republican group is getting all their strength together and they're going to show us what they think we should be all about, um, the four of us just thought, what if, what if we kind of just collected our strength together and just tried to do something beautiful? Um, and so they were into it. Everyone were excited about it. So we're basically just going to start with this first thing. They want us to host the first one. Um, so we're going to host right here, 221, and it's just going to be worship and prayer. We're going to lift the name of Jesus up, because he said if we lift him up, he'll draw everyone in. We want to see that happen. We're going to humble ourselves before the Lord. We're going to seek his face that he may heal our land. And then we're also just going to love one another, figure out what that means and prove to the world around us that the church's best days aren't behind her. But we're here, we're alive, we're a well, and we are full of love. Um, and so we're going we're to do that. And so I'm asking Living Streams, like if everybody comes here and you guys don't show up, it's like so embarrassing. I'll just be like the loser, pastor guy. Um, no, that's not what it's about. But I do think we should show up. And I was telling the guys, it was funny, I was like, well, you guys have even bigger churches than ours. And so if everybody shows up, there's not enough space. And they're like, well, we don't think everybody will show up. I was like, well, we're all going to show up. Um, so it was kind of funny. So there's no competition at all, I promise you. 
Zero at all. We're, all the four of us, we're not competitive at all. We're just not at all. No, but we're, we're actually having a lot of fun with this. And honestly, if it was just the four of us, I would be like, awesome, let's do this thing. But I think everyone should jump into this. I think we should jam this place out. I think this should be so full that it's just miserable for everybody. We're just like, what happened? And we'll figure it out. But how beautiful would that be, right? And if all the Living Streams people, because it was so full, we were just standing on the edges and we like all filled up around here, like just making sure everybody else has a seat because it's our home, so we're going to do that. Like, I don't know. Anyways, I get way too ahead of myself. Um, I just hope it goes well. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm excited because, you know, we, do, we are dreaming about what it would look like, and I've mentioned this before, for us all to do a Sunday morning together at Steel Indian Park and just kind of like, you know, hey, let's go further. But again, I get too far ahead of myself. So David killed a lion, then he killed a bear, and then he took on Goliath. So I'm trying to just, I like, I want to go after Goliath, but not, we got to work our way up to that. So you excited about that? Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, more to come on that. But 221, 7 p.m., mark that date, bam. All right, Luke chapter 4. Did I say everything? Good enough? Okay. You can always go on the website and find out all the stuff I forgot to say. So we're going to talk about fighting the devil today. We've been looking at Jesus in the wilderness, the 40 days in the wilderness, from the book of Mark primarily. And, and uh, we've been looking at Jesus' time of fasting as a practice. And so we've been talking about that. That was two weeks ago. We looked at solitude. So Jesus was out there on his own um, for that time. And we've been talking about solitude was something that Jesus did. He often went to the desolate place to be with God, to be alone with God. And, and then today we're going to talk about fighting the devil because that was a huge part of Jesus' life from start to finish, but also a huge part of that 40 days, as we'll see from the book of Luke today. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, those days, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, which is just wild to think what that looked like. I have no idea. If you go on Google and look for images of that, it's just, they, it's not that cool. It's, they're not very good at it. Um... And said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I can give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the, the, um, the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until a more opportune time, which is the creepiest verse in the Bible, no doubt about it. The devil departed until a more opportune time. So here we have Jesus' temptation. Most of you are familiar with this. Um, we've, been, we've been using this as, as a way to talk about preparation. So Jesus, 
um, when he was born, there were some really cool things that happened. Then when he was 12, he spent the night at church. And really, we don't know anything else until he's 30 years old right here. And he's baptized by John, and he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness, into a desolate place with fasting and solitude. And there the devil comes, and there's this temptation. And out of this, after this moment, Jesus begins his public ministry, where we get to see the beautiful, beautiful life of Jesus on display setting captives free, healing sick people, all these really amazing things, preaching good news to the poor, going to the cross, resurrection, raising people from the dead. I mean, it's just awesome, the life of Jesus. And so what we've been looking at is we, we love Jesus. We think Jesus is awesome, and we want to be like Jesus, at least more like Jesus. Amen? Amen? Anybody just want to be more like yourself? I mean, not that you're bad. God made you and all those things, but, but Jesus is the beautiful life. And we want to be able to do the things that Jesus did. Set captives free. Preach good news to the poor. Heal the sick. All of those things. Give life to people. So we want to be like Jesus. We want to do the things that Jesus did. And what we have to learn from the disciples is when they wanted to do the things that Jesus did and be more like Jesus, they only asked him to teach him one thing. They said, Jesus, will you teach us to pray like you do? Because they realized it was the private practices of Jesus that brought about the beautiful public life of Jesus. It was what Jesus did in secret that made what Jesus did in public so beautiful and powerful. And what were those things? Those were practices. Those were spiritual practices. And so we've been looking at a few of those fasting, solitude, and now we're looking at fighting the devil because the truth is, is every single follower of Christ, you will have to fight the devil. You are either fighting the devil right now or losing to the devil right now. There's no other option. You have an adversary. And here, Jesus himself, God in the flesh, had to fight against the devil. And so we're going to unpack this a little bit. So first of all, we're going to look at just a few different phrases in, this, in these 13 verses um, to unpack this a little bit and draw out some things that hopefully will be helpful for, for us today, but more importantly, once we leave this place. So Jesus was full of the Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit. It's very important to note that, because where he went was a miserable place. And so if you are in a miserable place in your life right now, it doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It could mean you've done something wrong, but it's not for sure that you've done something wrong. <laughs> Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit into a very, very challenging time. A desolate, a wilderness, a testing, a trial. Something that was very uncomfortable for his flesh. Something that he had to face alone. Something that where the devil seemed to be a lot more present than God the Father. And we all go through times. The Spirit sees fit at times in our life to lead us into wilderness situations. Allows things in our lives that are hard, that suck. And for longer than we can actually endure in our own strength. And many of you have been in a season like that. And some of us are in those right now. And the truth is, is if we're going to plan for 2024, 
we can almost assure, just like Jesus said, that we will have tribulations in this year. The Spirit sees fit to take those in because the Spirit wants to make us more like Jesus. The Spirit wants to put in us the stuff that will help us do the things that Jesus did. And sometimes this is the only way it's possible. We've been talking about this book that I've been reading, Sacred Fires. Super good book. I'm in chapter two now. Chapter two is just as good as chapter one. So you at least got that. You at least got that. Um, but in this, he was talking about in life, we go through these intense situations that basically are, are supposed to transform us from one stage to another stage. And he starts with birth, right? Birth is a traumatic. He calls it a violent and traumatic experience, birth. You're just in there all comfy, cozy. You don't even have to breathe. Like that is, that is some serious living right there. You don't even have to breathe. You're just like, what's up? You don't have to chew. You don't need teeth. You don't have to brush your teeth. How awesome is that? You don't got to go to the dentist. You're just chilling. And then all of a sudden, there's these violent forces, these contractions that just start raining on your parade. Boom, boom. And all of a sudden, bam, you're outside and you have to breathe now. And he talks about how there, there's these violent forces that are natural that propel us from one stage to another. And then what's so funny to me is he talks about adolescents being violent and tumultuous. There's these forces that are now not external, but they're inside of us. And they're like contractions, and they're like, gong, gong, gong. You have to do stupid things. <laughs> you have to break things. Young men, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, what is happening to me? I just want to break something so bad. That's why insurance companies say an 18-year-old young man is the most dangerous human being alive. Because there is a violent force inside them going, must break something. Must get all of the oranges and grapefruits from the Arcadia area and throw them at things. <laughs> and dump them into busy streets. Sorry, I'm having little flashbacks right now. <laughs> it's just stupid. It is stupid, it is stupid, it's stupid. I don't know what happened inside a girl, but they seem a little weird for a while there. Um, but there's these violent, there's these, and these are fire energies, and they're not necessarily a bad thing. He's saying these are natural things where God has allowed this to, to move us from adolescence to adulthood. And they're powerful, they're violent, they're intense. And he says what happens is then you go through that, and afterwards, and I remember it was 20, it was my birthday, my 25th birthday, where all of a sudden it was like, Whoa, that was wild. It was, I just, I was like, I, was, I, was, I literally said to myself, I'm so glad I didn't get married before this. I would have ruined everything. Because it, it was like, it was like those, somehow when I was 25, it was like something gave way. And I no longer wanted to destroy everything all the time. Am I alone in that? Guys, you got to help me out here. I'm feeling a little bit like an island here. Okay, give me some nods. You don't have to say anything because it's embarrassing. But yeah, there was, it was just like, got to do stuff. Um, but then he says, then what happens at that moment is then you basically just stop. And those fire energies are gone and they give way to something else. But he says, then you just assess all the personal embarrassments <laughs> that you have. And then and, and all the scars and the wounds that both you now carry in your body and that you've made other people carry in their bodies. 
And so it's this real reckoning. It's this moment of going, okay, well, so now how do I, and then the question he asks, now how do I move from just trying to get my life together to how do I move to being someone who gives my life away in a more meaningful and pure fashion, right? It's a beautiful transition. And some people never make it out of adolescence. And we know who you are. <laughs> it's not that cool, you know? Just go ahead, man. Move on. Um, but then at that point, there's new pressures, new things that happen in our lives. And he says what, and I, this way it sums up, I think it's so funny. It's a little inappropriate, but we're all grown-ups mostly here. And I, if you're not, ask your parents. So he says that when we're born, we just have an appetite for life. And we literally want to put every, we want to put the whole world in our mouth, he says. And all the new moms are like, yeah, but right, for sure. There's just kids. They just want to put everything in their mouth. But they want to taste everything. They want to experience everything. And then he says in adolescence what happens is you want to have sex with the whole world. Now, that was a, that was a perfect church response to that. It was like, <laughs> it's so funny. This guy's he's just, he's just writing words, you know. But... Um, but, but so then, and then he says what happens after that is, is all these, finally, these pressures are gone, and you get to this point of adulthood, and, and he says, you spend the rest of your life just trying to get back home. You're just trying to get back to that place where it's just you, your mom, and your dad. And you realize the world doesn't have the answer. It's just... But the whole reason he's saying that is to then illustrate for us as followers of Christ. We are spiritual babies in our faith and relationship with Jesus, but we're not supposed to stay there. And we have these stages of formation. Um, let's, put up, let's put up the critical journey graphic. Here's some, some research people, real smart. You can, we give them a little bit of credit in the corner up there, just a little bit. Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick. Um, but they describe the critical journey as stage one being this awakening to the reality that there is, there is a God outside of me. I'm not God. My parents aren't God. But there's something else beyond all of that, an awakening to that. There are two paths to take in this life. Uh, life of discipleship is where you say, I choose God, and I want to grow in this relationship and begin to understand what that means. We want to put that, the whole Christian world in our mouth, so to speak. Um, the productive life is now we want to start to actually allow our lives to, 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 to be productive, to bear fruit. We don't, we're not just wanting to receive everything, but we want our life to actually be beneficial to others. It's great. At some point, we don't just care about what's happening outside, but we actually realize there's a deeper work that needs to happen in us. It can't just be a brain work. It can't just be my own willpower that gets it all done. I need something deeper to go on, transformation. And at that point, they call it the wall. There is no way to get from that point to the next, which is the journey outward, which is ultimately becoming a person of love. Or there's two descriptions I love. It's, it's a non-anxious presence. This guy Friedman describes the non-anxious presence. We think about Jesus, a smoldering wick he never put out and a bruised reed he never broke. He was a non-anxious presence and the common people heard him gladly. What does this world, 2024 world, Phoenix, Arizona need? It needs some people with some non-anxious presence. Because everybody's strung out. Crazy town. Including people of God. So we've got to figure out how to become these non-anxious presence, just like Jesus. And then people of love. That perfect blend of grace and truth. Love is not grace. 
Love is the perfect blend of grace and truth, which Jesus was. That's what, so how do, we get, how do we eventually get to that point? We've got to go through the wall. John of the Cross, he calls it the dark night of the soul or the dark night of the senses or the dark night of the spirit. I don't know what Job would call it, but he did it. God wants us to get through to the other side, and so he allows these fiery energies in our life. Pain, loneliness, heartbreak, confusion, grief. Temptation, shame, grief. I said that already. Disappointment. Not so he will leave you there, but that some of you will be left there as you move on to the next thing. Wikipedia, for the first time ever, I feel like, actually says it well. What is the dark night of the soul spiritually? The dark night of the soul is a stage of purification and is marked by confusion, helplessness, stagnation of the will, and a sense of withdrawal of God's presence. It is the period of unselfing and the surrender to the hidden purposes of the divine will. That's it. If you want to follow Jesus... You're going to get these. You're going to get these. God knows when and where and how, and he'll never leave you alone, although it feels like the devil's way more present than he is. He's there. And Jesus went through that himself. Um, I don't have time to get into it, but um, Jesus, in that book, he talks about the movement of Jesus that, the, that, that this temptation was from private to public life where Jesus went from the stage of, to, um, of getting his life together to giving his life away. And so for the next three years, Jesus gave his life away. But then he talks about how the devil visited him again in Gethsemane, a second temptation, a more opportune time. And there at that moment, Jesus moved on to the stage where he's trying to give his death away. He was giving his life away, and now he's going to give his death away. This is deep stuff. I, don't, I can't talk about that because I don't even know about that. I'm just learning about that. But anyways, there's a little extra for you. If you like poems, um, there's a poem about the dark night of the soul that I can send to you, but you've got to email me and say you're a poem person, um, and then you can help explain the poem to me too. I want to be a poem person. I'm just not that good at it. Um, so the main message here is God's spirit will lead you into hard things because he wants to grow and mature your faith so that you can bear more fruit. And the big thing is you got to stay in the process. Jesus didn't want to stay in the process. He was there for 40 days. I'm sure day three he was like, are we good? Can we jump? You know? And that actually brings us to the next phase, or, or next phrase in this passage. It says, and when they were ended... Um, that fuller, fuller context is for 40 days being tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days and when they were ended he was hungry and when they were ended so there it says he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by the devil and when those days were end, ended the devil came with his temptations so it's, it's like so w when was he tempted? the whole time he was tempted in, in certain ways for 40 days tempted to forfeit the process 
tempted to not rely on the Spirit to guide him through the process of preparation, tempted to shortchange what he was doing, tempted to call it good early. But then after the 40 days is when the devil brought these three temptations. And it's interesting because those 40 days, I, I, I sometimes think was like, oh, Jesus must have been so weak after 40 days to face the temptation. And maybe that was it. It's like he's most vulnerable and then the tempter comes. But, but that's the wrong way to look at this. Because the 40 days was Jesus' preparation for the temptation. For 40 days, Jesus fasted and, and got alone with God, not so he could be weakened, but so that he could be strengthened for the day of temptation. Remember, when we are weak, we are strong. My, his power is made perfect in our weakness. So the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual practices that Jesus were doing were part of the preparation. And, and if he would have stopped short of those things, he wouldn't have been as prepared for the true moment of truth. And none of us know when those moments are coming this year. None of us know when the big trial is going to hit us. But we have a spirit, the spirit of God living inside us that will lead us into spiritual practices that will prepare us for that moment. And so we're putting some of those practices into place, but I want you at the end of this fasting season to say, okay, God, what do I need to do? What are the things that I need to practice on the regular, daily and for decades, in order to be ready for whatever opportune time the devil wants to visit? See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? I'll try to say it this way. When the 40 days were ended, he was hungry. Jesus wasn't using these 40 days to weaken himself, but he was using these to strengthen himself. The fasting and solitude were how Jesus prepared for his battle with the devil. So we need to take note that fasting and solitude and the practices of abstinence, the practice of engagement, you good with that language? We talked about the last two weeks. Um, they're very useful to prepare us and strengthen us for our battle with the devil. And if you don't think the devil is out to get you, you are a straight up fool. <laughs> Jesus made it very clear that there is a devil. And he made it very clear the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Paul the Apostle, who wrote most of the New Testament, he calls the devil the prince of the power of the air. Like the devil is just filling the air around you with deceptive ideas that play to your disordered desires inside that are normalized in a sinful society. That's a quote from John Mark Comer I think is just so helpful in our day and age. He's the prince of the power. He's just throwing fiery darts all day long, trying to get something to hit with a disordered desire within you. And what's a temptation to you might not be a temptation to somebody else because you have different disordered desires than they do. But the devil is out there trying to get some hits. Um, Peter calls the devil a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. When we read about Jesus casting all the demons out of people, because we read in Mark last week, like one of the very first things Jesus did, he just started casting demons, and people started bringing people, and he was casting demons out of everybody. So we should notice that when Jesus, the light, shows up, darkness is revealed. What's so important about us being the church, all for one, standing up and letting this light shine, coming out of hiding, is what it does is it gives people access to the light, but it also shows where the devil is. It makes him have to come out of hiding. And once he comes out of hiding, then people can really see the darkness for what it is. That's why we as a church, we've got to stand up. 
We got to pick a fight with the enemy, not pick a fight with people. We got to pick a fight with the devil and what he's trying to do to people. We got to expose him as he is the darkness, the deceiver. That's what Jesus did. Um, I heard a podcast with a couple people who are from Africa. Africa is a big place. There's a lot of different parts of Africa, but they were a part of Africa where they, it sounds like kind of both of them grew up somewhat around some rural situations. And, and they said that you don't have to convince anyone from Africa that there is a devil and there is darkness. I don't know if it's true. That's just what they said. They said it was so weird for them to come over to a Western culture in America. They both live here now and, and realize that you have to convince somebody there's a devil or there's darkness before you could even start to talk to them about what to do about it. They said that's not true in Africa because in all the villages there's witch doctors. And, and those witch doctors literally are doing spiritual practices all the time to gain some sort of power in the darkness that you can hire them to do those dark deeds to other people, or you can pay them to protect yourself from the evil spirits. And so they just grow up knowing that's a reality, that's, that's part, and they, and they get to see it. They've all seen bizarre things, unexplainable things. And so when Jesus starts talking about casting out demons, when Jesus starts talking about, you know, fighting the devil, all those things, for them they're like, this is great, this is great, this is great. And for us we're like, eh, whatever. And so the devil's tactic on, in, in our society has been a little bit more, hey, what if we just kind of hang out in the margins, kind of fly under the radar and just mess people up, and they'll just never even think we're there. It's done a good job. It's done a real good job, especially when it comes to youth. who are dealing with the fiery energies. And they don't have a healthy mom and dad in the house. They're left alone to navigate the deceptions of the devil and the fiery energies. And he goes on to say something crazy. This is back to that book. I'm sorry. It's just, it's crazy. He talks about how we, we get appalled sometimes at some of the rite of passage things that happen in, in some of these tribal places because they'll take a kid out in the woods and it's like life-threatening and sometimes you know, a few kids might even die. Over, over years and years and years, they might lose. And we're just like, this is unbelievable. How could you subject your child to that? And he says, but we don't have any rite of passage for our children. And they're dying by the tens of thousands trying to navigate how to move from adolescence to adults. They're killing themselves with drugs and alcohol and all kinds of other things. I was like, Ooh. So you can deal with that. I don't know what to do with that. But anyways, main message here is you are in a fight with the devil. You can plug your ears and say, no, 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 no. He's still there. He's still there. The spiritual disciplines can prepare you for and strengthen you in the fight that you are in right now. The last one is to really focus on the spiritual discipline that Jesus uh, focused on here. And the phrase is, it is written. So Jesus said when the devil came and tempted him with the bread, he said, it is written, man shall live by bread alone, shall not live by bread alone. And then, and then when the devil came again with another temptation, Jesus said, it is written, worship the Lord God. And then, and then the devil actually says to Jesus, it is written, and he kind of twists a little Bible verse in the temptation there. He's like, oh, you like this Bible? Bam, throw one at you this way. And then Jesus said, it is said. Do not test the Lord your God. And what's interesting is each one of those phrases that Jesus said are in the Torah. 
They're in the book of Deuteronomy. Actually, Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8. This is fascinating. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, used the Bible to fight the devil. The actual canonized, written, inspired. So some human wrote those words out, inspired by God, and Jesus drew from that well to fight the devil when it was his time of temptation. If that's not a stamp of approval on the word of God, the Bible that we have, I don't know what is. If Jesus actually said, you know what, I'm going to go to here to help me navigate this, why are we not doing this? Why are we saying, well, the Old Testament is old. You know, I don't even know if it means anything. I don't know. It's like, it's like trying to put lollipops in your shotgun or something. I, this, sorry. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of time to think that one through. <laughs> it's like you need bullets. Jesus was using these bullets. <laughs> a lollipop would probably do something, you know. I should have said something more like fruit snacks or something like that. It's just not as hard as soft. But I mean that, like, I've been a pastor for a thousand years, I think. And, it, and it's like, that's the most slam dunk situation I've ever had in my life. If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to do the things Jesus did, well, Jesus memorized the Torah. Jesus had that, like, ready ready at his disposal. I don't know if he read Deuteronomy 6 and 8 that day. Most likely growing up in Judaism, he actually, you know, memorized most, if not all, of the Torah. But Jesus used the scripture to fight the devil. The inspired scripture. Not just, oh yeah, I was hanging out with God before the world began and he said this one time. No, the actual canonized through the process of human inadequacy, inspired by the Spirit, written out, he used that to fight the devil. And so the practice that I want to put forth to us today and for the rest of our lives is we have got to study the Bible. And if you're getting 30 minutes a week on a Sunday morning from me, you're going to die. I'm sorry. I'm just not that good. Not even close. If you eat 30 minutes, if you eat one meal a week, you're going to be weak. You got to eat every day. You have to eat every day. You got to eat every day. And so what does that mean? Uh, the Bible recap, anybody, everybody do the Bible recap? Awesome. Well, I just introduced you to something that no one does. Um, I, no, Gary, you just told me about Bible recap. Yeah, he said it was like number one on, on, on Apple, Apple's podcast or whatever. My wife, my wife, if you want to know how to study the Bible, my wife's the best Bible study person in the world. She's amazing. She inspires me. She kicks my butt. But the Bible recap is just it's a little bit of word and a little bit of explanation every single day, and it's good. I can hear my wife doing it in the morning when I'm trying to sleep still, and she's getting up for work. It's like, come on. No, it's good. It's good. You should listen more. That's a good thing. The Bible Project, anybody? So the Bible Project, I think they made it for kids, but then all the adults found it and were like, this is too, this is exactly what I need. It's so good and so deep and so rich. And it's like video form and it's like cartoon, but it's, it's not cartoon stuff. It's deep theology. Um, those things are helpful. 
uh, one-year Bible. I've actually never done the one-year Bible, but one-year Bible I know has helped a lot of people, and that would be a great thing. Just say, hey, I'm just going to get the word in me. The whole Bible, I'm going I'm to eat it this year. This year. It's going to take me a year to eat it, but I'm going to eat it. A Bible study group, you got to get in a group to study the Bible. It's the best way because you can't hide in a small group. If you don't know, if you don't ask good questions, you're not reading the Bible, they make fun of you. <laughs> or whatever they do. I mean, maybe they don't make fun of you, but there's accountability. And then this last one, I'm just throwing it out because this is my story. Teach the Bible to kids. For about 15 years, I taught the Bible to kids every Sunday and every Wednesday, and I cherish that. Those kids taught me to, to learn the Bible. Because you can't teach the Bible to kids and it'd be confusing. You got to get it figured out because they're just, they'll start drooling or screaming or throwing, like asking dumb questions about their dog. All kinds of stuff. They just start rolling, literally. It's like, oh man, I need to do more work. I got to get this tighter. But teaching the Bible to kids on the regular was huge. And we got kids over here that need the Bible taught. There's a lot of kids in South Phoenix need someone to teach them the Bible. We just got asked if we would put on a VBS for kids this summer, and I was like, yeah, with mentor kids down in South Phoenix. I don't even know how we're going to do it, but yes, we've got a lot of people here. Let's go teach the Bible to kids. You got your own kids? Teach them the Bible. That's a huge, it's a really good way to learn the Bible. And so lastly, um, I got a lot of stories like this, but one story is when my dad took his life, I was 20 years old, and I had, I had spent a couple years being real serious about following Jesus, and the Lord took me to a dark night of my soul. I hit a wall, and I had this experience with the Lord where I was in the back of a car. We were going to pick up my brothers who were just coming back from the mission field, and I said, God, you got to give me something because I could feel everything collapsing, caving in. And I had read that morning, you know, this, this phrase in the book of songs that's repeated actually in a few different psalms, and it's, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. And it was like that, that verse kind of in that moment came to mind. It was like the Lord was whispering that verse. And then, and then I'll just tell you what, what it was like for me. I felt like God said, I'll see you on the other side. And that, that seemed messed up to me. But it was like God was saying, hey, I'm going to give you my word that there is another side. And I want you to know that you're going to feel like I'm not there for this season. You'll feel like the devil's closer to you than I am. But he was never gone. He just knew that's what I would feel like. He said, I'll, you, you hold on to this for dear life, and I'll see you on the other side. And so I did. I hung on to that scripture. And I stayed in the pain. I didn't try and numb it. It's tempted from time to time. And I remember about five years later, I was at Thanksgiving at my cousin's house, and he had this paper, tablecloth, and he wanted us to write on the tablecloth, what are you thankful for? And, and I kinda, it was just weird, because it was like all of a sudden that scripture came to mind again. 
And I was like, oh my goodness, I have a strong heart. So I wrote strong heart. And then they asked us to share them all, and no one, it made no sense to anyone. They were like, does he have a heart disease or something? But, so I, but I, knew, I knew what it was. And it, and it really was. It was like I, I was now for the first time noticing. It was like God was reminding me, hey, we're on the other side now. And that scripture was what held me together through it all. And I have lots of stories like that, but let's pray. Thank you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that you don't want to leave us the way we are, but you want us to make, make us more like your son. You want to set us free from more. You want to make us deeper humans. Lord, you want us to be beautiful so other people can know your beauty. And so we give ourselves to your work, come what may. Come hell or high water, Jesus, we want to hang on to you. We do pray you'd have mercy on us, especially those that are in it right now, Lord. Speak loudly to them. Give them something to hang on to. Give them hope.